Um, and there was always challenged with how can you grow uh, an analytics business that was confronted with essentially the demise of active management as their customer base. Uh, and so in casting about looking for growth opportunities, routinely came upon the US wealth segment as something that was undergoing significant demographic change, technological change, and as we all know, changes in markets um, always equal opportunity. When Jonathan Hudiko and Vijay Rao launched Just Invest in 2016, they thought it would take at least a decade for zero commissions and direct indexing to become mainstream. While they both happened about five years sooner than expected, their startup was well positioned to take advantage of these accelerating trends. I spoke to Jonathan and Vijay about how personalized indexing is really the future of investing, how their rebalancer as a service will take the market by storm, and a whole lot more on this episode of the WM Today podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the wonderful world of wealth tech. This is the Wealth Management Today podcast, and I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, and I run a consulting firm called Ezra Group. We are experts in everything related to wealth tech. We deliver growth-oriented solutions to banks, broker-dealers, asset managers, and technology providers through our advice and research. And on this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and remember to share this on your social media networks. You can reach me if you have any comments uh, on my email, craig at ezragroupllc.com, or on Twitter, at Craig Iskowitz. So I've known the guys at Just Invest for a while. I met Jonathan at a conference, I believe a family office technology conference a few years back. And I was impressed with what he said on stage. Um, he was on a panel talking a lot about ESG. And that's a big part of the value add of Just Invest. Uh, ESG appears to be an overlay on top of their rebalancing, their outsourced rebalancing technology, and their uh, direct indexing technology and tax management. So a lot of good things uh, they've, got, they've got going for them. I've known VJ for a while, who is their CIO. And I've recently met their chief revenue officer, Rosanna Leroux Munoz. She also is on this podcast, but she doesn't introduce herself. So uh, I apologize. It's my fault. As the host, a good host should always make sure all his guests introduce themselves. So I'm letting you know that she speaks towards the end. So a lot of good content, a lot of good conversation back and forth between uh, everyone and myself. Uh, so here we go. Uh, I hope you like it. And on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast, I'm happy to announce we have two guests. One of our first two guest interviews on the program is Jonathan Hudiko, co-founder and CEO of Just Invest, and Vijay Rao, co-founder and chief investment officer of Just Invest. Hey, guys. Hello. This is Jonathan. Hey, Craig. So thanks for, for being on the program, guys. I really appreciate it. I know we were spending some time coordinating and all the things going on and outside world. So I'm glad we're all here. Uh, can you, uh, either uh, Jonathan or, or Vijay, you want to give us the 30-second elevator pitch for Just Invest? Absolutely. Happy to do that. So 
Just Invest is technology-driven asset management. We're a team of professionals who've been in the technology side of institutional investments for the bulk of our career, um, saw a tremendous amount of change in the wealth management side um, and decided to jump from institutional to retail. And we're really innovating in how the end investor can have greater control via their advisor over their investment. That's a good overview. I know you've got a long history in the industry. Um, what got you started and, and why did you start uh, Just Invest? Okay, I will give you the Genesis story from my perspective and let VJ, you know, elaborate from, you know, every, every team member brings their own sort of rationale and reason. But, you know, I, I can ultimately say thank you to uh, Henry Fernandez, CEO of MSCI, for the creation of Just Invest because when I worked at MSCI, um, I had the, you know, the benefit of participating in annual strategy meetings. And there was always challenged with how can you grow uh, an analytics business that was confronted with essentially the demise of active management as their customer base. And so in casting about looking for growth opportunities, routinely came upon the U.S. wealth segment as something that was undergoing significant demographic change, technological change. And as we all know, changes in markets um, always equal opportunity. And so after pitching some of those opportunities internally, ultimately decided that it would make most sense to go after them uh, as an independent startup. So that's really the genesis um, from a business perspective. We you know, certainly had the benefit also from, our, from my MSCI experience of working with a lot of large institutional investors who were really at the vanguard of uh, integrating ESG and customization, uh, as well as bringing passive investments in-house, all thematics that you'll see in the Just Invest product. From my side, I saw a lot of the same trends. Uh, I also worked at MSCI, uh, but I think I got a, a, a different uh, view of some of those trends uh, when I worked at what is now BlackRock. At that time, it was uh, actually BGI, where I worked on the fixed income desk there. And I saw how institutional investors invest, and I really was able to see uh, how institutional investor uh, investing, I should say, uh, is quite different from retail investing. Uh, institutional investors uh, have ESG considerations in a large number of their portfolios, if not all of their portfolios. Their portfolios are optimized towards benchmarks uh, and are tracked towards benchmarks. They have very specific uh, investment policy statements and certain mandates that they're uh, looking to target. And when you look at the retail market, it's very model-driven, product-driven. Uh, a lot of those themes just don't ex exist at all in the institutional space. Uh, so when Jonathan and I got together and we started talking about the opportunity in U.S. wealth, uh, combined with the advances in technology and cloud computing and uh, data models, ESG data, um, risk models, etc. We kind of saw a uh, uh, a really good nexus where we had the skills and the background uh, and the knowledge to put this all together and deliver a more interesting product to financial advisors and ultimately their clients. So, why direct indexing? What was it about that the market that you saw that that was that now was the time? Because direct indexing has been around for a while. But, so why now for direct indexing? What, what do you see as, a, as a, the nexus of trends coming in that are make it now a good time for direct indexing? 
Well, it's interesting that, that you asked that question specifically around direct indexing. When we started, that was still not a term in terminology that was, you know, broadly adopted. We actually, when we launched, went out with personalized indexing as, as the moniker that we were uh, trying to establish. We capitulated and accepted direct indexing as, a, as it became obvious that that wave was, was coming through the industry. But I think, you know, regardless of the name, the sort of ingredient mix uh, and why now is very clear. So there's really two, two sides of that coin. One is from, as Vijay alluded to, on the, on the technology side, you know, we have far more compute power at a reasonable cost and cloud computing in particular uh, makes it much more available. So it's sort of this democratization of, of high power technology really allows for rules-based portfolio management. And if you, if you distill rules-based down to sort of its most core piece, you get to, you know, take an index and rebalance towards it. Um, and you can layer in additional data-driven rules. So uh, to me, that's, that's a core of direct indexing. The other side of the coin was what's been happening in the custodial slash brokerage land. When we sat down in 2016 to start the business, we had some theses about what would happen over the next five, six years. And those have come far quicker than we anticipated, um, which has been a positive. And I think why you're now suddenly seeing direct indexing really come to the forefront of people's thinking and, and discussions. And two of those are the commissions going well, we didn't anticipate them going to zero until I think 2026 in our original business plan, but we did anticipate them kind of stepping down. So we saw that from 12 to 495. The going to zero last year was certainly ahead of schedule. Um, and then the other one is fractional shares. Obviously, some players who are sort of at the front edge of technology had already been offering fractional shares, folks like Drive Wealth and Apex. But to see it now appearing at the major custodial platforms really opens up uh, the opportunity set, I think, for folks who want to pursue this kind of strategy. Yeah, we've seen that too, and the, especially the fractional shares, where in the past it was a major differentiator, and now almost everyone has it. So it's something that we're, we're seeing uh, as well. So looking at some of the competitors out there, like you know, a lot of firms are, are cropping up with direct indexing and offering it in different, in different ways. What makes Just Invest's way of delivering direct indexing different than uh, your competitors? Sure, uh, I'll touch on it and I'll, I'll let Vijay, you know, also, you know, add his thoughts. But uh, I like to say, first of all, there's, there's really two big names in the space who we can all, I think, you know, owe our gratitude for pioneering what used to be called custom SMAs, uh, so Parametric and Aperio Group. Um, very well known in the space and you know they do incredibly great work so we're very respectful of them um, and I like to tell folks they're really good portfolio managers they do a good job of managing their clients portfolios I think where we differentiate is really that we put technology first so we think of ourselves as technologists who do portfolio management and it's a subtle but I think it's a very pivotal and important difference because when we apply technology is the leading edge of what we're doing. That means that we can do a lot of things differently at different scale, at different frequencies, and at different sizes of account that the uh, incumbent providers have operated at for many years. And so that's really the core piece of differentiation. We're, we're really in, in basically providing far more innovation for the advisor to have control, transparency, and customization over their clients' accounts. 
uh, that's technology driven. So we give them a very rich uh, user interface to direct us and to direct the accounts. And then on the back end, you know, it's all very modern cloud architecture, high scalability, virtualized systems that lets us scale up and manage many more accounts and many smaller accounts than people have historically seen. From my side, when I look at the competitive landscape, you know, the term direct indexing is still a little bit nebulous and a little bit uh, undefined. Uh, as Jonathan mentioned, you know, we see the leading lights in direct indexing as, as being a parametric and a period, and, you know, we see them as having blazed the trail. Uh, there are others out there that have a very different model, uh, which they also call direct indexing. I'm thinking about folks like Motif, for example, you know, where you have a basket of stocks that you can buy and sell and, and rebalance uh, at will. InvestNet uh, as well has a, has a very different model, direct indexing. I think the jury's still out. I mean, a lot of these firms uh, have been successful, some have not, on what exactly direct indexing is and what the ultimate application to, to the client is. Certainly, uh, we believe that delivering uh, an index-based exposure uh, with customizations, whether that customization is around uh, ESG values or preferences, or whether it's around uh, tax preferences, managing around a concentrated position, tax off-harvesting, multi-account tax optimization, all of those things I think are in play and uh, out for the jury to decide uh, how much interest there is uh, for advisors and their clients. Certainly uh, leveraging the technology back backbone that we have, we believe that delivering a lot of those solutions, those more complex solutions around ESG and tax management, not just tax loss harvesting, but actual tax management, whether that's a concentrated position, whether that's uh, multi-account management, uh, et cetera, uh, is important for the advisor, um, at least the advisors that we're speaking to. Jonathan, can you talk a little bit more about the technology? You're talking about, uh, it's obviously cloud-based, everything's cloud-based now. And uh, you mentioned how it's scalable. What, can, you, can you go a little bit without getting too deep in the tech space uh, or on the tech side, but how you built out your back end? What's the architecture? What's, the, what's underlying that? Yeah, let me start with the team just briefly because we've, you know, we've been very lucky to, uh, to have assembled a, a team with a lot of experience. Um, if you look back into our career, so, you know, Alan Cummings, who's not on the call, but is our third co-founder, uh, joined us from Aperio Group and, you know, was pivotal in building their first operating platform. So he has a tremendous amount of experience in watching a firm do both custom SMAs or direct indexing, if you will, at scale and go through what I think we can all fairly term hyper growth. Uh, Kieran Lagasetti, who's our CTO, uh, worked at Thomson Reuters, worked at MSCI Barra with, with myself. And, um, you know, he then went on to a startup and in the big data space. Um, so these guys bring a ton of experience around high volume portfolio processing, initially in the institutional space and uh, in the retail space at Aperio. And then we sat down and we said, great, with our practical experience of managing portfolios, and, and we know many of the issues when you're running portfolios, particularly with customizations, uh, around where these things can, you know, basically trap solutions, algorithms uh, in corner cases, you need to be prepared to solve for those. Uh, then take, 
what you know everybody loves to build on. Uh, we use Amazon. We're not you know doesn't mean that you know Google or Azure or others aren't good solutions either. We just happen to like the tool set that was available on Amazon. So we've built everything there. Uh, we've implemented a number of internally built algorithms for tax loss harvesting, as well as some commercial risk models and optimizers to go along side by side. And all of that's packaged into um, a fairly sophisticated on-demand virtualization toolkit. So as we ramp up in the morning to run all of our client accounts, we fire up nodes, we ramp, go through all the accounts, we get results back, and then we can shut that down to basically to just a sort of a heartbeat set of uh, servers that are available for on-demand ad hoc analysis. So we can control our cost, we can share that cost control with our clients, um, but we can also ramp up in a, you know, a second's time to be able to process high demand or if there's a lot of volatility in the market. That's excellent. Uh, I think a lot of people don't take the time to, to learn about their vendors back end and the architecture to understand whether they can really scale because as you're growing, you don't want to be caught in these uh, scalability issues where you're adding too many clients and a big volatility day hits and then everything's down. So I always recommend my clients do that level of due diligence to find out the technology on the back end and, and how it was built and who built it, right? who, who are the players and where they learn uh, their craft. So let's get back to uh, tax management. You, you, uh, Vijay mentioned something, the difference between tax loss harvesting and tax management. This is something I bring up a lot, especially when talking about portfolio rebalancing, where people throw around the terms tax optimization, tax management, and tax awareness, and tax loss harvesting. Uh, they sort of use them interchangeably. How do you define the difference between tax management and tax harvesting? Uh, for me, there there's multiple different things in the kind of tax space that uh, advisors and their clients really need to be aware of. Uh, tax loss harvesting, in my mind, is uh, purely uh, selling securities which uh, which may be down, uh, harvesting that loss and using it as a tax credit in the future, either against gains that you may realize in that account uh, or uh, gains that you may realize elsewhere with other investments. However, uh, tax loss harvesting, it's been in the industry for a while. I think there are some firms that do a great job of it. I think there's a lot of firms still coming up the learning curve, but that's kind of only one piece of the pie, uh, when, especially when you look at your typical advisor and their typical clients. Many of those clients have more than one account. They have tax-deferred accounts like an IRA. They have tax-free accounts, maybe like a Roth IRA, and they'll also have a taxable account. And when you have a client that has multiple accounts, you really want to be thinking uh, across those multiple accounts and trying to minimize things like the tax drag, for example. Uh, so your muni bonds, for example, should go in your taxable account. Your high dividend paying stocks, maybe they go in the IRA. Uh, your high growth stocks might go in the Roth IRA. And really the idea uh, around tax management or tax location, as some people call it, is really uh, minimizing uh, the overall cost to the client. I think the industry as a whole has done a really good job uh, in terms of reducing fees to clients. Uh, you, we can see, you know, especially in asset space, uh, the, the fee compression has been, uh, uh, has been huge in the past uh, five to seven to 10 years, but we haven't really seen much improvement in the tax management space where we see 
people really taking advantage of, of those tax advantaged vehicles that uh, many of us uh, are entitled to and have access to, to minimize the uh, overall uh, fees and taxes that come out of our uh, investment return. So a lot of rebalancers have, or more advanced rebalancers have location optimization where they'll place securities in the most optimal account based on certain algorithms and certain understanding of how different assets throw off cash. So you've got a product called Panorama. How does, how does your holistic optimization differ from the way other firms might do it? Yeah, Panorama is a multi-account uh, rebalancer uh, in many ways similar to some other products that are on the market, uh, in many ways different. Uh, we do it as a service on a, on a sub-advisory basis. And really uh, the unique, uh, I think, uh, um, value proposition with Panorama is that we're not using um, a, a specific model um, that we've come up with. Really, we work with the advisor to implement their asset allocation models and the securities that they place in those asset allocation models. So if an advisor really likes a mutual fund or an ETF to use for emerging, mar emerging equities, uh, em emerging EM equities, or an advisor really likes a specific fixed income mutual fund uh, in the credit space or in the high yield space, uh, whatever it may be, uh, we can, on an account-by-account account basis, uh, really uh, specify the model for each and every client, each and every household, I should say, um, and uh, make sure that as we're rebalancing, we can rebalance tax efficiently amongst those multiple accounts to minimize the tax cost of that rebalance and also minimize the tax drag that that portfolio, that household will realize uh, as they go through time. So really, that's the uh, that's the value proposition out there with uh, Panorama. Is there anything specific about the way you built Panorama as a rebalancer? Can it go and rebalance other types of portfolios, or only limited to direct indexing portfolios? No, not at all. Not it's it's uh, it's not limited to direct indexing portfolios. You can have an equity direct index in there as one piece of the asset allocation. Uh, you could just as easily have a lineup of ETFs or or mutual funds or really any other uh, publicly traded asset in there. It's not limited to uh, direct index uh, SMA. We do think having a direct index SMA does enhance the tax benefit uh, to most households, uh, but you know, we're not stuck on that. Uh, we've, we certainly have a number of accounts that don't have a direct index and we're purely uh, rebalancing tax efficiently amongst uh, a number of mutual funds or ETFs and some of those Households, for example, would like to be in a direct index, but you know they've got low basis positions in there and so forth that they can't reasonably get out of uh, without uh, um, paying a pretty penny in taxes, and that's fine. That's part of the process and part of the uh, tax optimization um, that we uh, that we deliver through Panorama. You mentioned tax optimization. Can you? Is it true optimization? So do you get to the level of looking at the client's 1040 and at that level of optimization, or what do you mean by that? We work with the advisor to understand the client's tax rates. Uh, we look at the cost basis of the positions in the account. Uh, we're not looking at, at the client's 1040s or their tax returns, uh, for example. Gotcha. So can you do things like transition sleeves, like a, as in a UMA where you're bringing in holdings, uh, you're ACATing in securities from another account and then you're selling them down over time to minimize the tax impact? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the main use cases of uh, why advisors get started with us and you know some advisors come to us just uh, 
across for the majority of their book. So uh, an advisor wins a new client, for example, the client has um, uh, money elsewhere and they kind of have a jumble of securities that uh, they don't really, the advisor doesn't really know how to rationalize or really move towards uh, an index-based exposure. Uh, we can take uh, that uh, list of securities and we can load them up in our system. And over time, we can manage them uh, and try and direct them towards an index-like exposure while minimizing the, the cost of that, the tax cost of that transition. Yeah, Craig, you know, you'll be familiar with the, fr the, the phrase glide path from the retirement industry. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we like to talk about a tax glide path, which is for many of our clients, as we receive their accounts and their positions, there are notable gains, as VJ points out, you know, you don't want to blindly punch those out and realize a taxable event for the, for the client. So we will map out for the advisor a glide path that's tax-free or what, at whatever level that the advisor and the client uh, agree to. For some, they prefer to reduce their tracking error or their deviation from model at a faster pace and incur some tax cost. For others, they want you know, a zero tax cost to be par paramount. So we let them have the flexibility of those parameters. And are those done manually or that's all built into the system? You have automated tools that can set that up. As I said, you know, we start from technology first perspective. So everything gets coded and automated. Do you guys operate more like a TAMP? So it sounds like when you're saying you're, you're, you're rebalancing as a service or you're, it's outsourced rebalancing. That sounds more like a TAMP. Well, so it's interesting you, you mentioned that. We don't really people? think of ourselves as a TAMP because you know, we're not making the selection of the, you know, the model is left to the advisor. We, we're here to serve the advisor and ultimately mm -hmm. their end investor client. So we're not in the business of manager selection and fund selection. We wholly leave that to the advisor. They show up and they say, hey, Just Invest, here's the model I have that I use with my clients. I don't want to be in the business of having to monitor and rebalance on an ongoing basis. And I recognize that you guys have, you know, some tax uh, aware in technology that I don't have, can we implement my model with you? And the answer is 100% yes. That's, that is our core model. So in that regard, I don't think of us as a TAMP. I think of us as a rebalancing service. Now, I would think of you as a TAMP because just, just uh, in the way of TAMPs have changed so much recently and there's many different ways to skin the cat, as they say. So you, while you're not the, you're an old school TAMP, you're definitely in the, in the you know, TAMP-like as you, uh, since, there, since people are outsourcing the trading and rebalancing to you, uh, there, there are some, and, and since you can push the button, right, once, you can push the, once you can push the button, then in my mind, you're some sort of TAMP. You may not be the, like an old school asset market kind of TAMP where you're handling everything, but you're some, sort of, you're some kind of a TAMP. Fair enough. I'll accept in the mind. moniker. It's not a bad thing to be. Right. Now you're a sub-advisor. You're some sort of sub-advisory processing. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about one of our sponsors. The Invest in Others Foundation recognizes individual advisors and advisory firms that are making a difference by donating their time and money to causes they care about. By sharing their stories and awarding funding to these organizations, the Invest in Others Foundation builds critical visibility, encourages others to get involved, uh, channels additional resources to those in need and highlights the important work being championed by the financial services community. 
Over the past 12 years, thanks to the ongoing support of their corporate sponsors and people like you who could be sponsors, they've helped to shine a light on the financial industry's good works, bringing greater recognition to a wide range of professionals, from wirehouses and independent broker-dealers to RIAs, while partnering with charities across a spectrum of causes. I've been involved with the Invest in Others Foundation for a number of years. I've been honored to be part of the judging committees that award funding to different charities that financial advisors are supporting, and it's really tough. There's some great, great charities out there. If you go to investinothers.org, you can learn more. You can read about some of the uh, uh, charities that they are supporting and some of the different programs that they run that you can donate to. Uh, So please donate uh, on their website and let your company know about the donation because they'll probably match it. And we would really appreciate it. The Invest in Others Foundation. One one thing I want to ask, if you don't mind, I wanted to throw it over to Rosanna. Can you tell me a bit, because you have a lot of experience with startups in the space. And I I asked this question before. I just wanted to get it on record. What attracted you to Just Invest? Because you had a really cushy job where you were before. You worked at a couple different startups all in the space, and you're very successful. And yet you left that cushy job to come over to Just Invest. What was it about the company that attracted you? Um, so thank you for the question, Craig. I think a lot of it comes back to team. So Just Invest is my fourth startup um, at this point. And because you're trying to get on the path of adoption, understand the market, a lot of that is shifted and shaped by your team, their insights, and how well you execute and how clean that execution is. And I've actually known Jonathan and Vijay um, for a very long time. Um, We've always had a relationship. Um, I've followed them through the years and they're excellent human beings, but on top of that, I really respect um, the combination of the financial subject matter expertise and the technology. And so um, when I had an opportunity to come work with them, I absolutely jumped at it. And I don't think in the market right now, it's very common to see the level of subject matter expertise and the technology combined. I also think that we're doing something that has a really, really large addressable market and will really be a game changer. um, And that we've had an opportunity now to lead. When you look a lot of the statistics in terms of um, who's in our space, how much money they've raised, and what their actual client base looks like, and I included some of that information in our prep material there, I think the data just points to the fact that we are basically winning. And um, I think that you know, we're going to continue doing that as we are able to serve our RA clients with um, a great custom experience that they can deliver to their clients and really, really, really clean execution and operational efficiencies. So team is the answer. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just really exciting how much we've been able to grow given, um, given where we are right now. That's a fantastic answer. I'm glad you, I'm glad you put that out there. I like hearing that. I like hearing that other point of view. So let's get back to Jonathan. So um, let me talk to you about the ESG portion of your, your sales pitch. So you are an outsourced rebalancing uh, and sub-advisory. How does the ESG part fit in and why is it different? There's lots of ESG options out there now. I've got ESG funds, 40 act funds and ETFs and other ESG providers. Why would I go to just invest for ESG? Uh, you'd come to just invest for ESG because you'd want it done the way you want it done. 
uh, as opposed to the way somebody else thinks it should be done. You know, again, Craig, we're really here at the service of others. So we're not, you know, I have my view on, on what's important in the ESG space. I'm sure VJ has his view on it, but it's not our duty to, you know, put our view into a client's account in their portfolio. Our, our position is we want to hear from the client through the advisor. What's most important to them? What issues do they want to uh, address in that account? And then we will take the data sets and the information that we have available and we'll propose to them a pathway forward. And if they agree with that, that's what we're going to execute. So, you know, we're not falling on any side of a fence. And unfortunately, you know, ESG can get highly politicized. Again, it's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to really say to a client, tell us what's important to you. Here's the breadth of depth and depth of information that we have available uh, through the various data sets uh, and algorithms. And here's how we can address anything that you want addressed. And that, that isn't just in the account management itself. It also extends all the way through to proxy voting and raising proxy issues to companies. So if I'm uh, an advisor and I'm, I want to get involved in ESG, do you provide the screens and the recommendations or, it's, or they've got to bring everything and yours implemented? Uh, so we really have two models. Uh, we have a base set of ESG, uh, both negative screens where companies that are um, involved in certain activities or they have a certain level of revenue from an activity. So a classic one is tobacco. Do you want your client, does your client want to be involved in, you know, generating yield from tobacco sales or not? So we can screen those out. We have predefined ones that an advisor can take off the shelf, um, but they're also welcome to sit down with us, go through the data dictionary that we have available and customize all of those for them. Mm. And that's, you know, something that's quite important increasingly for advisors because they want to differentiate their business relative to their competitors, their peers. So just taking off the shelf for many is okay, but for many where they've developed an in-house ESG expertise, they prefer to really sit down and say, we want our ESG definitions as X, Y, and Z. And we're happy to do that. So we implement that into the, uh, into the front end for them. Uh, the other side of ESG is also what's, you know, I'd call ESG 2.0. It's not just negative screening, but it's really starting to focus on best actors in a given industry or sector. Um, carbon emissions is probably a classic example there. So for a lot of clients, they initially start out with saying, I want fossil fuel free. I don't want to own any oil companies. But when you start to dig into this issue and realize that a lot of these companies are on a rapid transition, I think BP made a huge announcement this week, in fact, that they were, you know, just tripling or quadrupling their investments into uh, clean energy. Do you want to be outside of that? Do you want to not be helping direct companies through shareholder activism? Uh, so some clients end up saying fossil fuel is not free is not the path to we'll go, but I want to focus on lowering carbon emissions from the companies I own. Uh, then we can look at a different data set and we can tailor that to them as well. And so then we're choosing best actors across their portfolio and emphasizing that. I like that ESG 2.0. I think that might be the title of our uh, episode. What, um, where do you get your data from your ESG data, data sets? Uh, as you know, there's lots of different NGO sources, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I will say our core commercial data set is MSCI. Uh, they are, you know, well-regarded and, you know, routinely win awards for the best institutional ESG uh, data vendor. So as a base state, that's our core platform or catalog that we start with. 
Uh, so I like, I was looking at your website and making a note here. Uh, I, I liked your, your term hyper-personalized SMA because SMAs are all personalized. That's one of the value added of an SMA. It's a personalized mutual fund, but you're taking another step and now it's a hyper-personalized ESG, SMA, direct indexed product. Uh, all right, so I think that's about all we have time for. I think I've hit all my questions. Uh, so guys, uh, it's a group effort. I really appreciate your time, VJ, Rosanna, Jonathan, and Emily. We didn't get a chance to talk. Uh, but thanks for being on the program. Looking forward to seeing more big things from Just Invest and seeing you guys change the market for ESG and direct indexing. Thank you very much, Craig. It was great, Craig. Thank you. Hey, it's Craig again. That was a fun interview. I really enjoyed that. Uh, a couple of my takeaways. I, I really like how they're doing custom SMAs. Uh, it's a very different, a little bit of a different take on uh, the TAMP model. Uh, they've really got a nice interface. You should take a look at it. I just got a demo of it uh, a week or two ago. Uh, I really like how they're presenting it. So it's, it's a bit of a different take on how uh, direct index SMAs would work with the tax-optimized uh, overlays and the ESG hyper-personalization. All good stuff. A lot of advisors are saying a lot of good things about how uh, Jonathan and VJ uh, and Rosanna have brought this all together and how Just Invest is providing a little bit of a different niche uh, on this market. Uh, so please remember to share this episode if you enjoyed it with your friends on social media. Give us a five-star review on iTunes and look for our next episode next time.